Duke Vermouth, your reputation precedes you. They say you have the taste for the exotic, both in libations and liaisons. Guilty as charged, Lady Lexington. But tonight my passions are stirred only by your intoxicating presence. Pray tell me, what elixir does your heart desire? Ooh, mix me a cocktail that whispers secrets and tastes like danger. Ah, Lady Lexington, you crave a concoction that dances on the edge of scandal. <laughs> Do I? And what ingredients might you imagine for such a potion? A dash of mystery? <laughs> a generous pour of temptation? <laughs> a hint of the unexpected? Oh, naturally, one would hope. Mix well and let chemistry take its course. I see. And what would you call this affair? Oh, I would not speak its name aloud in such polite society, my lady. Forbidden fruit? Right, ready, and low-hanging. Oh, it sounds devilishly delectable. Take a sip. Oh, good gosh, that's fucking awful. What did you put in this? I'm, I'm really not sure. I have no idea what any of these bottles are. You're certainly no misologist. I'm starting to suspect that you're not even really a duke at all, are you? I'm afraid not. Stop! Stop! I'm being catfished! Ow! Hi, my name's Paul. And my name is Senor Cupid. And you're listening to... <laughs> I love that you always take me by surprise. And you're listening to... No, no Garnish! Senor Cupid. Now I've got that in my head. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to Valentine's Day episode of No Garnish. Happy Valentine's Day everyone, and uh, here goes out to all the lonely hearts as well. Yeah, let's not forget people like me. Oh yeah, I'm sorry man, I totally forgot. You're in Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. I'm not a lonely heart though. You don't feel like you're lonely? No, oh, I'm, that's not, good. I'm not lonely at all. Oh good, I'm pleased. No, I'm yeah. just single well, I think there's these a whole, days. I think there's a whole thing of like... Um, this idea that, you know, only people in a relationship are happy. Yeah, and I think it's no. a fallacy. I think if you're happy with yourself, then you're happy with yourself, right? Anyway, so yeah, we're going to do some Valentine's Day cocktails. Often when you look at Valentine's Day cocktail lists, the same suspects appear. So I've got a couple of usual suspects from Valentine's Day cocktail lists. We're nice. going to try them out. Nice. There's I one like called it. a Pink Lady. Never had a Pink Lady before. Oh, that makes me think of the Acid Mother's song. Pink Lady song? Lemonade. Oh, One of their of fav- most famous ones, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're going to do that. The first drink we're going to do kind of ties to the history of Valentine's Day in a very obscure way. Right. And then at the end, we've got a hybrid cocktail, which is... I'll, I'll save that one to the end. But okay. that the one at the end isn't usually on lists, but I think it should be, because I think maybe it's the better of all these three cocktails. Ah, right. Maybe. 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 Yeah. We'll find out. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So the first cocktail is a cocktail called Juliet and Romeo, created Ooh. by Toby Maloney in 2007. <laughs> Toby Maloney. Does that make you laugh? Yeah, it does. Okay. I, I think names that rhyme. Was that his his birth name, Toby Maloney? I don't know. His parents were having a laugh at that, isn't it? Do you think? It's like calling someone like someone who's called trombone like. You've managed just to pick a word that nothing rhymes with. <laughs> I was thinking. Why that. trombone of all the words? <laughs> yeah, okay, I have. Yeah, 
But yeah, Toby Maloney, that doesn't sound like a real person. But let's assume that he is real. Yeah, yeah. He is real. He is real. In fact, he you've had another one of his cocktails before, not right. on the show. Do you remember a cocktail? It's called Neptune's Wrath, and it involves pouring flaming chartreuse. Mm. Do you remember that? Yeah, I that did, was really fun. That was one of his. Oh, right. Yeah. Awesome. I can't remember what it tasted like, but I definitely remember the burning, fiery wrath. Yeah. So yeah, this is one of this is one of his. This is a yeah, kind of a modern classic. I can't even remember if I've ever tried this cocktail before. Why does this taste like wet grass? Well, it's kind of what he was aiming for. Oh, was it? He wanted to create a cocktail that tasted like an English country garden. It does taste like an English country garden. Yeah. yeah. Not in a good way for you. It tastes a little bit like when you've mown the lawn on a wet day and you jump into the into the grass that's on the side from the lawnmower. It's, it's a bit soggy. It's a bit like when you've come back from a sort of soggy autumn sort of day when you've walked the dog. It's got a bit of a sort of walked dog flavour in it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Okay. I think it's the mint as well. The mint with the cucumber. I think it's absolutely delightful, actually. I really like this. You really like this? Yeah. I mean, I can understand why you don't like it. It's very fresh and it's very floral. And it's also got cucumber, which you dislike intensely. Yeah, but, but for people who like these flavours. Yeah, well, I think that's it. If you like cucumber. Yeah. Because basically what it is, it's like a gimlet. So it's a gin, lime and sugar cocktail. Yeah. But then it's got added cucumber and mint in it as well. Mm. So you shake it with mint and muddled cucumber. So. Yeah. And what's the sort of... Um, so it's not very limey. The lime kind of recedes into the back a little bit. Mm. And the cucumber and mint come forward. Mm. There's a dash of rose water in it as well. Wow, right. I think it's one of those ingredients you'd probably notice it is missing, but you can't taste it distinctly. Mm-hmm. And then there's a little bit of Angostura bitters. It does look a little bit like an English pond. <laughs> yes. <it laughs> I'm does. not really selling yeah. this at all. Well, I think this is interesting that you really dislike it. And I actually think it's, I think it's a work of genius. I think it's fantastic. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I'm really impressed with it. Oh, are you? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I can see that it's got sophistication to it. Yeah. So because it's not to my flavour profile is, is is fine because I can see that there's love and work that's gone into crafting this yeah okay. yeah, yeah yeah um and it's not like it's not like some of the cocktails where i just like ah, oh my god i can't drink that like i can drink this okay bit of a theme with the cocktails this evening rose oh rose you know what's going to happen though every time you say rose what Baby, no. No. I wanna get you fatty on the mirrors and gather who. Oh, no, I've banned you from that. No, I've banned you from ever singing that again on the show. The baby, I wanna get a fatty to a party. I remember trying to learn that, and it's so hard. And I recorded myself singing it, and I was so out of tune. Wow. <laughs> Have you got that recording to hand? No. (laughs) I deleted it from everything. (laughs) What's the most romantic thing you've ever done for anyone? Me and Josh went to a restaurant on our second date and I stuck googly eyes to everything in the restaurant and laughed manically at it all. (laughs) Is that romantic? Well, um, did, did, did he find it utterly charming? No, he actually was a bit worried at one point to how funny I was finding it and actually wondered if I was like a little bit uh, special, like a bit simple. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then considering this is our second date. <laughs> second date. I thought I was just being, you know, uh, quirky and charming. And I, I was just, it was just the thing that I was doing at the time, was sticking googly eyes on things. It was just fun. <laughs> and um, <laughs> in retrospect, he said, like, if I carried on with it and didn't pick up that he wasn't finding as entertaining with me, that might have been the end of it. Wow. Um, I don't know. What's the most romantic thing? I think I'm quite a romantic person. Our um, anniversary is uh, just coming up, and it's our 10-year anniversary. Wow. Which is quite amazing. It's a big one. It is a big one, because mm. because we haven't got married. It's like, we've, we've been a lot longer together than most of our friends who are married. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, after 10 years, I mean, I hate to say this, Josh, but I you do kind of forget like all the romantic things you've done over the years. With yeah, each sure. Because I think often the romantic stuff really happens early in the relationship. Mm-hmm. I would say the most romantic memory that I have with Josh. There's a mm. couple. Um, the first time we woke up together, we watched um, Daft Punk, the music video, which is all like an anime. It's very like oh, a feature-length yeah. anime. Right. And we fell together in each other's arms and had a nap whilst watching it. And yeah. considering we'd only met up uh, once before, there was an incredible, like closeness to each other mm. very very early on and um for the first like period of us dating he would come back to my place because i lived in a shared house and it was like a sort of he sort of says like now like it, like it was like an archetypal american teenager's bedroom even though i was in my late 20s <laughs> right and i would put on um with my digital projector a film on the ceiling so we'd watch it in bed yeah and because we both love cyberpunk, we went through all the 80s cyberpunks like Robocop and Blade Runner, and right. that sort of stuff. They're really happy memories for me. I really oh. loved those dating, that dating period with him. I never felt so at ease with someone so quickly. Yeah. 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 yeah so I guess that those are the most romantic. And then the real shift in our dating was because we were very steady we'd only met up once a week for about three months do you know what i mean right so we were very like at ease at just meeting up once a week mm. and then i called it bonus day because i went round to his for the first time twice in a week mm -hmm. and he had made a quiche right. and it was a lovely quiche real men don't eat quiche <laughs> real men <laughs> <laughs> and we watched jurassic park on tv right. and i remember just being like this is amazing. And and that was when I think both of us realised that it was getting, there was something serious in it. That's lovely. It's nice, isn't it? It's very nice. Yeah, yeah. What's the most romantic thing that you've ever done? Well, I can think of things that I thought were romantic. I don't know whether they were received in the spirit that they were given, though. I remember I gave my first girlfriend, like, a homemade golden ticket that was basically kind of... You know, I'd, I'd arranged and planned a whole whole day out. Oh, wow. And we did. We went, we went to cinema at one point. There might have been a zoo involved. There might not have been. I can't quite remember. You kind of had like a perfect day. That was the plan. Like, oh, it's such a perfect day. Just a perfect day. Feed animals in the zoo. Then later, a movie too. And then home Oh, it's such a perfect day I'm glad I spend it with you Oh, such a 
perfect day You just keep me hanging on You just keep me hanging on well, yeah. Did she receive it well? Did she love it? I don't know. I think maybe it was a bit much. Oh, really? It just overwhelmed her a bit. I think that, I think that often can be the way, actually, like... When people plan really romantic, big gestures, and there's a lot of like expectation of how you think people are going to react. And, and almost like if it doesn't all align, it almost feels slightly off. I think it can be difficult to pull off because it can feel contrived. And this is what Josh always says to me. Today, we had a really ro- nice romantic moment, actually, funny enough. And it was completely unplanned. We went down for a mooch through town, went to the sea because it was a nice day went to the arcades that we've done before we just played a few of the games and we did this amazing like space invaders game where you're shooting space invaders invaders together but it's on a big led board and then he got top player as he always does and we won 750 points in a ticket and then you can exchange it for prizes right and i finally got the the fluffy present that your boyfriend wins at the fair oh wow that you see in all the romantic movies yeah and i've grown up with that always wanting that to be recreated but you know if you if you try and create that scenario it just feels contrived and yeah anyway shall i show you what what i won yeah what he won for me (laughs) i was expecting something huge it's very small and cute (laughs) it's tiny isn't it yeah it's a little sloth It's absolutely miniature, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're expecting like the giant big That's what I was thinking bear. was coming, yeah. <laughs> That's very sweet. Have you done any others? Because you've, you, you, I mean, you got married in <laughs> Hawaii, didn't you? I guess you? that was pretty romantic, being, well, it was Fiji, yeah. I guess, Fiji. I guess getting married in Fiji was quite romantic. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was the highlight, I think, of my romantic life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. That was very cool and fun. <laughs> how did i forget that <laughs> another life isn't it where i started off with this episode was you know that myth that valentine's day was created by greetings cards companies yes i've i've bought into that yeah and i had a feeling that wasn't true but i didn't know what the truth was and, I it, believe is, and it. it is an absolute myth it's complete bollocks is that right absolute bollocks oh i mean i thought yeah. that sounded quite plausible to it be does honest. sound plausible but yeah. it's nothing not even close to the truth so what's the true story then so the truth is that when we celebrate valentine's day we're actually celebrating the burning alive of a roman saint is that right yeah St. Valentine. St. Valentine went on holiday to Rome in 269 AD and got right. burnt alive. Oh my God, on holiday. <laughs> well, I call it a holiday. He was visiting. He, was he didn't visiting. live there. Jesus. Like, I mean, out of all the holidays, that's a pretty bad one, isn't it? Uh, do you remember that time I got burnt alive? Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty bad, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Like, reminiscing. Like, the food oh. was good, though, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you remember that pizza? <laughs> the story behind that is that um, the Roman Emperor Claudius had basically kind of come down hard on Christians. It just right. wanted to wipe out Christianity because it right. was, a th- you know, a threat to the Roman Empire. Of course, yeah. Part of the problem here is that nothing was even written about St. Valentine for hundreds of years after all this happened. Yeah. So what they think was that he was he was a Christian bishop or priest, probably a bishop, and possibly he used to give blessings to Christians wanting to marry. Right. And possibly he gave them pieces of parchment right. that had little notes written on them, something like that. Right. But that might all be bollocks. What is true was that in visiting Rome, Emperor Claudius heard about him, him visiting, 
Yeah. Sent the soldiers and they imprisoned him, tortured him and then burnt him alive on February the 14th in 269 AD. Jesus Christ. God, that's yeah. nuts, isn't it? Yeah. And so he became a Christian martyr because of that. Oh, is that why we celebrate him then? Yeah, yeah. So so basically 200 years later, in 496 AD, the Feast of St. Valentine was established. But that still had nothing to do with love and romance. Really? That was not associated with him at all. So just remind me again, uh, St. Valentine was burnt at the stake just just to bring down Christianity. So he was invited to Rome for the idea of burning him alive? No, I don't think there was any subterfuge there. I think he was visiting, maybe visiting some other Christians there. Right, and he just got caught up in the clampdown. Yeah, probably maybe just wasn't very subtle. I don't know. Oh, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. But he is also the patron saint, not only of courtly love, but of epilepsy and beekeepers as well. <laughs> well, I love it. It's just like... I know. The patron saint badges can be so random sometimes. They're so aren't random, they? aren't they? They're a little bit like when you're playing a computer game and you get those random, like, um, trophies awards trophies. things that you've <laughs> yeah. done, yeah. It's like, oh, why don't you can be the patron saint of beekeeping as well and epilepsy. So, yeah, the Feast of St. Valentine's Day established 200 years after after he was burnt alive and it didn't have any connection to romance until Geoffrey Chaucer wrote a poem about it right and that was in the middle ages 14th century right okay so in the 14th century this belief existed which isn't true either that birds paired in mid-February right and so that lent itself to the idea of romance and Geoffrey Chaucer wrote about this in a poem right so all the modern ideas of romance and valentines come from geoffrey chaucer yeah a medieval english poet right so in the 18th century another 400 years later that's when it started to grow into an occasion for couples to express their love for each other and the things that we associate with valentines today like flowers confectionery greetings cards those are all 18th 19th century things i guess this is industrialization because it used to be that people would make their own homemade valentines and then that got taken over in the 19th century by mass-produced greeting cards ah right right so they didn't invent it they they just industrialized something that was already going on oh i see okay Yeah? yeah yeah if anything chocolate makers are more responsible for the commercialization oh really so in 1868 cadbury's created what they called fancy boxes Right. And they were heart-shaped boxes of chocolates, especially for Valentine's Day. Oh, okay. So Valentine's Day has since spread all over the world. Right. But Islamic countries, they don't like it at all. Right. So it's actually banned in Indonesia, Pakistan, and Saudi Arabia. Oh, right. But even something like in other countries like Iran, where young people are adopting Western traditions, Mm -hmm. it's becoming a bit more accepted. It's like they don't like it, but they're not going to put people in prison for it right a couple of little weird things about valentines around the world last february the animal welfare board of india appealed to indians to celebrate 14th of february's cow hug day right for emotional richness and to increase individual and collective happiness to hug a cow cow hug day yeah cow hug day. i like that do you like that yeah um, yeah South Korea has an interesting relationship to Valentine's Day. So in South Korea on Valentine's Day, women give chocolate to men, and then men give non-chocolate candy to women on March the 14th, a month later. Right. And that's called White Day. And then another month later, on April the 14th, that's called Black Day. And that's for people who didn't receive anything on either February or March the 14th. And they go to a Korean restaurant to eat black noodles and lament their single life. (laughs) 
God. <laughs> God, that's so, like, cruel. Well, it's like, well, you didn't get anything, so you have to go and eat black noodles so everyone knows that you're single. <laughs> it is a bit and like just that, sort of Stewing your own noodles. In yeah. your own noodles, yeah. But at least they get something. Black noodles. Like, mm, <laughs> yeah. Lovely loser for not being in a relationship. Jesus. Like, is that so that other single people can see them eating black noodles and then go like, oh, well, I'm single as well. Maybe. And you and I'm just as sad as you. I gotta say, Black Noodle Day sounds fucking depressing. It does, doesn't it? Because like, w- what would be the archetypal Western idea? My instant one, it would almost be like Lady in the Tramp. You go to an Italian restaurant, you eat spaghetti meatballs, you share it, and then you have to do the last bit bit of spaghetti where you both eat it. Yeah. And you nudge over the last meatball to your partner. And then you have a single red rose. You have a, a glass of champagne each. You get them chocolates with flowers uh, with a card. That would be my archetypal idea of what Valentine's Day is. Mm. Do you think that's the sort of cartoon picture that people have in their head of what Valentine's Day is in in the West? Yeah, it's pretty close, isn't it? You know, it's impossible to get a seat in a restaurant on on Valentine's Valentine's Day. That's why we feel so fortunate that we met just after, because all the restaurants were clear by that point. I mean, on our first ever uh, anniversary, I booked us a table at Coat. I was a classy guy. It was because I had a voucher that gave us money off. I phoned them up ahead in advance and I said, oh, this is our first anniversary. Can you make it special? And they're like, oh, yes, of course, sir. Yes, all that. When we arrived, I I sort of mentioned that. And they were like, oh, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Here you go. And they put us right next to the, like, where the washing up was being done, where, like, all the sort of cutlery and stuff. And I just said to them, like, this isn't, this isn't what I wanted. This is our first anniversary. And they're like, oh, okay, sir. And then put us in the window, which would have been lovely. But being February, it was absolutely freezing. Right. But they did kind of make up for it. They brought us like two complimentary glasses of Prosecco with, um, you know, a strawberry in it. When you mentioned that glass of Prosecco with strawberry in it, lots of Valentine's Day cocktails. That's pretty much it. That pretty much is, A sparkling glass of champagne with some liqueur in it. Oh, with liqueur in the in the champagne. A lot, yeah. There's a lot of classic is Valentine's there? Day cocktails where that's essentially what it is. God, that sounds boozy. And I, and I thought, well, one, neither of us like those cocktails very much. No. And two, prosecco makes you gobby. <laughs> makes me gobby. <laughs> that's your, that was your words that you used in the last episode. I would say that's probably the most accurate description of what prosecco does to me. It makes me gobby. Oh, yeah. right. So I think let's let's avoid that. Let's l- avoid a row on the Valentine's <laughs> Day episode. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know if, how Josh feels. I think he'll be fine with this, but we actually had our first major argument on Valentine's on our anniversary. Right. We just moved in together. It's only been about a month or maybe a few weeks, and. Um, <laughs> And it was our first, yeah, really big argument. And I remember sort of saying something, um, just as you do in an argument sense. And then I turned around and then Josh got really tearful. And he said like, oh, well, if I make you so miserable or whatever. And I was just like, oh my God. Like, that made I, me want to start welling up. Did it? I put my arm around him and I said, like, look, I think we're just stressed because neither of us have ever lived with a partner before. Our room's not kind of big enough. Uh, life is a bit yeah. stressful. And I think we're just taking it out on each other. And I think we wanted today to be really special. Mm. And the pressure of that has met, has caused this. Yeah. And I said, I'm so sorry. Like, actually, you have brought me the most happiness I've ever had in my life. You make me so happy. 
What's your best date and what's your worst date? Date? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, I want to um, know. Most of the bad dates I've had, yeah, it's because that other person has just been completely disinterested. Right. Like, I do remember literally someone running. Really? Running away. Really? I'm, I'm like, well, that's a first. I've never actually seen someone run <laughs> from me at the end of oh the day before. Was that like an internet date? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm only really thinking of internet dating. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think like, you know, we live in an era of internet dating. You know, even 10 years ago, people were a bit like, oh, oh, you're me you met on the internet, did you? It was, even then, it was still considered a bit unusual. Yeah, I know. There was someone I used to work with who, who met her husband through internet dating, but wouldn't tell that as the story of how they met. Why, because it didn't seem romantic? Or, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I was kind of a bit ashamed of that. A bit ashamed, yeah. And I find that's very much a generational thing, because I think nowadays it's just common to meet people. Yeah. But it's yeah. almost going the other way now, where people are like, oh, I just want to find love the romantic way. Good luck. Because they've had so many disastrous internet days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, good luck. Good luck in, <laughs> good luck in both ways. I mean, good it's hard. Ways, it's yeah. hard finding someone to, yeah. that you're in love with in any way. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's not an easy feat. Yeah. yeah. I could do a whole episode just about my bad dates. I think it's quite funny bad dates, like with with uh, on a romance Valentine's, because I think it's quite human. I think it's quite human to have bad dates, and I don't think yeah. people talk about their bad dates enough publicly. I've got some great stories. Yeah, the same about a house full of naked people. <laughs> no, that was an interesting. <laughs> oh my god, what happened there? There was someone that I met. We'd had we had like a quite wild first date yeah the first words she said to me were my best friend died today but i think she would have wanted me to come and meet you <laughs> that was wow. her opening line Ooh. and then the next week she invited me to her house and she lived it was just like a house in the middle of nowhere and she shared this house with like a few other people and then the next morning she and i are having breakfast outside and then we're joined by a couple of other people who live in the house right and, but they start talking about how in the summer they just don't wear any clothes right and they all just live naked and they're all just very comfortable with each other comfortable wow. enough that they don't bother wearing clothes around each other right and i was just this sounds wonderful but i don't know that i'm that kind of person yeah I'm I not. Think, I'm not going to live in a naked commune with people. Yeah, I think you. I think that's a very specific like thing that you that you're okay with. You're either okay with it or you're not. It intrigues you. Maybe like you might be nervous the first time you do it, but I think you've got to have a kind of a desire inside of you. <laughs> yes. Like yeah, I just want to be naked because they're all and they're all kind of saying the general consensus was. Um, they're all fine with it, but people's partners often have a problem with it. Right. And I'm like. Yeah, no shit. Right, right. I can imagine why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's going, yeah, so really relationships don't really work for the people in this house. Yeah, yeah. No, you've got each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds great. I, I'd love to be a part of it, but yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to be. Not going to be. No, none of that, thanks. It's tricky, yeah. isn't it? Because I remember like I was with a partner and we were sort of almost becoming friends with some friends of friends who were very sort of hippie like that. We were in a closed relationship and I'd never been in an open relationship before, but they were in an open relationship and I definitely got the feeling that they were very interested in my partner who was, you know, quite a few years younger than me. And I, de I definitely got the feeling that they, <laughs> that they wanted to like, you know, open our relationship up mm, with him. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, you know, they sort of talked a lot about going on you know, these kind of commune uh, retreats with, you know, lots of other 
gay people, uh, gay guys and stuff. And yeah, the subtext was definitely that, yeah, it's a commune retreat where we all get naked and love each other a lot vigorously. (laughs) <laughs> in various places okay, okay. around the commune right. it's almost like let's let's hide the smuttiness by making it all about sensual right. rhythmic healing <laughs> so that, that kind of menagerie didn't appeal to you no it doesn't i don't i think like i love the idea of hedonistic raunchiness and all that sort of stuff but more as a sort of fantasy than actual reality mm. I think you. I think to enjoy that sort of stuff, you have to be a very. You have to be a natural kind of exhibitionist. Yeah. And you have to kind of love the idea of people watching you from all different angles. Mm. And I think for me, I'm just like, no. I just like. I don't even like it when I've hooked up with people and they've got like a a big mirror next to the bed. Oh, okay. Because I just find that a bit like, oh, do you know what I mean? Or like a mirror above the bed. Like, oh God, <laughs> do you know what I mean? You don't, you don't want to see yourself. <laughs> Uh, yeah, kind of. Right. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Who knows? You know, maybe that maybe like the pampas grass will come out at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Are you just doing good to be true? I can't take my eyes off of you. You just be like at the heaven to, to touch. And I want to hold you so much. At long last, a love has arrived. One thank the heavens to God I'm alive. You just do good to be true. I just can't take my eyes off of you. Hoy! Ah, it's the ladies' night tonight at Old Paparata. Come on! A free pizza for you all! Beautifuls get extra pepperoni! Love you, babe, and if it's quite alright, I need you, babe, and if you want a lonely night, babe, trust me when I say, I'll print a babe, and if you bring me. Okay, we're back with the second cocktail this evening. Yeah, I love it, man. It's pink. It's very pink. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's like the colour of romance. So this is a pink lady cocktail. It's made with gin, bit of apple brandy, lemon juice, grenadine and egg white. Oh, nice. It's a prohibition cocktail, so it dates from around the nineteen early 1920s. Probably named after a 1911 Broadway musical called The Pink Lady, or in honour of its star Hazel Dawn, who was also known as the Pink Lady. Right. It was a really popular drink around that time and around the middle of the 20th century. Became popular at the Southern Yacht Club in New Orleans, where it was offered under the name, and I think this is a better name, the Pink Shimmy. Oh, nice. I'd rather drink a Pink Shimmy than a Pink Lady. Mm, I like the Pink Shimmy, yeah. It's a good name, isn't it? Try it, and I'll tell you another bit of stuff around it after we've tried it. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sherbet It's like drinking a Pink Lady Apple. Yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah. The apple definitely comes through, but so does the grenadine. It's quite fruity. Mm, it's very incredibly sweet. Like, even with me, with my sweet tooth, I'm shaking. I made one the other night and I cut back the sugar a little bit and I forgot to do that this time. Oh, really? I think maybe a tiny bit less sugar. Yeah, I think a little bit less. It would just, um, it's a very sharp sweetness. It's kind of a bit strange. Well, it's a, yeah, because it's another sour. You know, it's essentially it's another gin sour, but this one uses grenadine as the key sweetener. Oh, right, okay. Maybe a little too sweet. It kind of fell out of favour for that reason, really, I think, that 
in the male-dominated cocktail world, right. it was very much seen as a ladies' drink. Like, it's very feminine. It is. It's quite a camp cocktail. It's pink. Yeah. It's quite Austin Powers. Yeah, it is, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That's what yeah. it reminds me of. I think it's kind of that, that sort of um, idea with genderizing drinks quite fascinating. You know, this kind of yeah. thing of like, yeah. oh, you're, this is a man's drink and this is a woman's drink. You know, it's so like old-fashioned, that way of thinking. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that happens at all anymore. Does it not? I'm no, glad about that. Yeah. I don't think there is a problem in identifying masculine and feminine traits and qualities but I just don't see masculine and feminine being strictly male and female because yeah. you can be a feminine man and you can be a masculine woman. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, the colour mm. pink, isn't it? Because uh, for a long time, the symbol of pink is that we think of it as being feminine. But it mm. wasn't always like that. It used to Pink used to be the colour for boys. Oh, I remember hearing about this. Yeah, because yeah. it was the colour of blood. Right. So, so and I think it was in France that you would give boys pink. Because that was the masculine. Yeah. And blue was actually yeah, yeah, yeah. feminine. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. It's, it's all flipped around. It's all it's all just how we associate, isn't it? France though. I mean, when you're talking about masculine and feminine, one thing I've always struggled with, I really struggled at school and still make no sense of why in French everything is gendered. Oh my god. Well, I mean it's fascinating because Josh is now in his second year of learning. Of course French. he's studying it at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, I mean he's very good at it. Um I'm really impressed with how difficult it is and he is finding the second year very hard because not only do you have to get the idea of masculine and feminine words and sent whole sentence structures but then you've got like past tense masculine and past tense feminine and future right. tense masculine and future right. tense and it's just like no, oh thanks. my god like you know not just even choosing different words but a whole sentence structured and then you've got like well is it formal or is it uh, informal this is kind of one of the reasons why I think, you know, um, English as a language has become so prevalent because it is just easier because we don't tend to do masculine and feminine no. so much, do we? You no. Know, a table's just a fucking table. <laughs> I know. We don't have to think of it as being a, a male table. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. There is apparently, Josh was saying, that there is a sort of talk in France that's bubbling up about getting rid of the gendered language. But it's a bit of a bone of contention for a lot of traditionalists, obviously. Of course it is. Yeah. Go back to the pink thing. Yeah. The pink lady was the favourite cocktail of Jane Mansfield. Right. And Jane Mansfield loved pink. Who's that? So Jane Mansfield was a really famous pin-up actress, one of the blonde bombshells from the 1950s. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, so, and she died quite young in a car accident. Right. But a bit like Marilyn, she died young. So through the cocktail, I found out it was one of her favourite cocktails. And then I discovered that the place that she lived in on Sunset Boulevard was called the Pink Palace. Wow. And I started looking at pictures of this place. It's incredible. I'll have show you, you some pictures. Oh, have you got some pictures? Yeah. yeah, I was going to look it up. I think I might have seen this before, actually. I was looking at it and thinking, this is what they've based Barbie on. Right. They've definitely looked at pictures of Jane Mansfield's Pink Palace wow. and copied some of those ideas. Let's have a look then. I'm fascinated. Oh, my God. So you're looking wow. at pictures of her Pink Palace. 
I'm looking at the naked hunk of a man in one of these photos. He's gorgeous. Yeah, so the whole place was painted entirely in pink. It's like a Mediterranean-style mansion. Um, it featured cupids surrounded by pink fluorescent lights. It had pink furs in the bathroom, a pink heart-shaped bathtub and a swimming pool, a fountain spurting pink champagne. Oh, my God. So this was all her idea. Yeah. And she decorated this place herself by writing to companies right asking them to send her samples right so when she decorated this place in the 50s she received over $150,000 worth of free merchandise that translate now to one and a half million dollars worth of free merchandise oh really the decor cost almost twice as much as the mansion itself oh wow after her death it was sold um, one of the subsequent owners was Ringo Starr oh really he lived in it for a while <laughs> before it did his head in um, is it, was, it still pink no it's demolished they, I'm really saddened to find out that in 2002 it was demolished oh really after Ringo Starr owned it Ingelbert Humperdinck owned it Right. And then he sold it to developers and they demolished it. Right. And I think that's a bit of a crime that they demolished it. I think it's especially sad because one it's it's an it was an incredible not just like a piece of architecture but a kind of almost like a living museum to this this star who died tragically. Right. And the sad thing is that the car that she died in is exhibited. Right. And I think that's Totally, you know, that's all just fucked up, isn't it? Yeah. We exhibit the car that she died in. Yeah. And we demolished the beautiful house that she created. Yeah. And that just strikes me as we've got that totally the wrong way around. Yeah, yeah. Go on the net, look at pictures of it, because it looks fantastic. You love it, do you? It's the Barbie house, isn't it? It is the Barbie house. I find that... Just... You get upset by the aggressively <laughs> pink stuff, don't you? By... <laughs> I just... <laughs> I've got to be honest, I'm not, like, averse to pink. It's not really, like, one of my favourite colours. But I just find, like, too much pink. It makes me angry. <laughs> it's just, like, I just can't... It's just something about it makes me nauseous. Which is funny, because you have a pink fluorescent light in your lounge. Yeah, and I've got one here. Yeah. Like, I, I, I love it in little doses. Okay. Um, And it's quite camp, and it's fun. And everything, but when it's when there's too much of it, it just um, oh, I, f I find it quite. Uh, it reminds me. Uh, yeah, okay. I wouldn't want to live in the pink palace. I would find that uh, it would give me a headache. It'd give you a headache. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it reminds me of Angel Delight, yeah. and it sort of brings back weird <laughs> memories of Angel Delight. I remember, like as a kid, I was always like so fascinated and like, wow, my God, we're going to have Angel Delight. I was like so excited, like the little sachet comes out and yeah. then he gets whisked up and, oh, this is amazing, really exciting. And and now when I look back at it, I'm like, God, that was really naff. That was such a naff yeah, 90s like was, dessert. Well, 70s really. It's isn't funny it? we don't have things like that now, do we? I don't think we do. Not really? No. No, I think yeah. I think I think if you gave a kid Angel Delight, they'd be thoroughly disappointed now. <laughs> yeah, they would. Yeah, yeah. Or like Smash, you know, Smash. Like, do you remember the mashed potato that you oh. just added milk and water to? Uh, oh, god, it was horrible, wasn't it? I used to love it, it as a kid. Did you? Yeah, we used to have Smash yeah. when I was a kid. Smash, get Smash. And it was literally, it was just like powdered potato with powdered milk, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like. Actually, how lazy do you have to be to make, like... Cause well, there's no... making mash is hard work. Is Got it? Boil a potato. You've never made proper mash. I've never really cared for mash. No, I'm not a big mash fan. But trying to make it without any lumps in, 
does take a lot of effort. I don't mind the lumps. I find really? the lumps actually more satisfying. I find when it's totally creamy, man. All oh, right. Like a bit sickly because it's like Angel Delight, but with no sweetness. Right. <laughs> it's okay. like a savory it's Angel a Delight. Way of okay, <laughs> I kind of get where you're coming from. So, the Pink Lady cocktail. How does it compare to the first one, the Juliet and Romeo? I much prefer this one. Yeah, yeah. This okay. is much more in my wheelhouse of flavors. Right. Would you have uh, it again? No. i did a bit of research into what are the most popular romantic lines from tv film and literature right and i found a poll conducted of two thousand british women and i found the answers to those questions so this is very much a british thing as well what we what we consider what these british women consider the most romantic lines i like it okay because i was going to say frankly my dear I couldn't give a damn, but I don't know if that's necessarily romantic. <laughs> no. Well, everything is from 80s or later. Okay. Do you want to take any guesses? So they're actually all movies as well. I'm not really a romantic movie type guy. No. Having said that, I watched When Harry Met Sally. Or, no, it was, it was I get them too confused, but When Harry Met Sally and I watched email no that's not it <laughs> you sleepless in email seattle the movie email sleepless in seattle because it's all about email yeah 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 it was like electronic well, there love is, there is a you've got mail oh was it you've got mail yes but i don't know i haven't seen either oh, of those i get them so confused they're all like the same movie to me sleepless Meg in, seattle in both i think isn't she you've got mail and what was the other one I don't know. Anyway, I remember like watching them on a Saturday, um, probably all at the same time on three different screens. <laughs> this is weird. This is all the same movie. Um, <laughs> and like getting really thoroughly in- involved in it. They were like, kind of, they're yeah. kind of like Hallmark movies before Hallmark became Hallmark movies, aren't they? Yeah. Right. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit you with the top three. <laughs> According to British women, these are the most romantic scenes, lines ever. Right. So number three, there's a joint number three. Okay. Harry met Sally. Oh, right. Okay. And it's the line... I came here tonight because when you realise you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Ah. Oh. Yeah, does that touch your heartstrings? <laughs> Not really, but... <laughs> Are you being facetious? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's like falling into this contrived romance shit. Like, maybe I'm starting to see what Josh is saying about how it just, like... It just feels so, like, precisely manufactured, doesn't it? Although that is the yeah, sort of... Okay. That is the sort of shit that I would write in a, um, a Valentine's card, to be honest. <laughs> I think that's a nice line. Yeah, yeah. No, I love it. Like, maybe one of us has got to be the devil. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't object to that one the next one i do object oh to. do you so the next one is from titanic oh god don't you do that don't you say your goodbyes not yet do you understand me i'm so cold listen rose you're gonna get out of here you're gonna go on and you're gonna make lots of babies and you're gonna watch them grow you're gonna die an old an old lady warm in her bed not here not this night i like the middle bit of the movie i just don't like the beginning and end yeah i always I mean, thought titanic was just overrated i've never i've never liked it i really really just like the movie what i really love though is that someone recut titanic and replaced like them with cat 
so they're like dancing okay. and there's a cat <laughs> and they're like you know like a paw comes up instead of a hand and like <laughs> like oh yeah jack's drawing her but it's actually just like a cat on the lounge like <laughs> yeah. so number two number two is from dirty dancing oh okay i'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. What do you reckon on that one? <sighs> um, well... <laughs> You're so underwhelmed, aren't you? I just think, you know... I don't like that. I, don't, I like that movie, actually, but I don't really think that's a great romantic line, personally. I mean, you know, it's young love, you know. I mean, yeah. I just think, like... Yeah, I feel like that. But, you know, don't get so wrapped up over someone like that. You'll never, like, come on come on I come on girlfriend like you know hold yourself to high esteem yeah you know? i'm with you on that one i think there's something a bit icky about patrick swayze in dirty dancing there is something a bit but, but i mean a lot of my um girlfriends love it yeah you know yeah like it is like a lot of uh, female friends i've had throughout the years really love dirty dancing yeah. there's something really like archetypal about why they love it they love the patrick swayze they love him. Um, you know. <laughs> the Patrick Swayze. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I've always found him a little bit intense. Like, I've always found mm. him a little bit... Um, Serial killery? Yeah, a little bit like the Tom Cruise of that era. Yes. But actually, yeah. I think he was probably much nicer in real life. Mm. Than, yeah. yeah. I always just think of him as in um, Point Break. That's my Patrick... What I yeah, I love him in Point Break. Okay, we're on to the number one. Right. I've come here with no expectations. <laughs> Only to profess now that I am at liberty to do so. That my heart is and always will be yours. Hugh Grant playing Edward Ferrers in the 1995 movie adaptation of Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility, written by Emma Thompson. Oh, interesting. I don't know if that line is actually from the novel or if that was written by Emma Thompson, but that's the number one. 16% of these 2,000 British women loved that line. That's an interesting um, connection as well, because isn't Jane Austen from Bath? Is she? I've I've written Jane Autism. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Jane Austen made Bath a home from 1801 to 1806. Um, so it wasn't actually her. <laughs> she only lived there for five years, and people were like Bath. She's from Bath. That's it. I'm. I. I think like uh, Hugh Grant is only one of my favorite actors now. Post Hugh Grant, like post pre- Hugh Grant. Po- yeah, post Grant. Like, <laughs> like. <laughs> Because he kind of took a time out, didn't he? Yeah. And now he's come back as this kind of amazing, well, he, weird he, character he got, actor. He got, yeah, he got caught soliciting a prostitute, didn't he? Is that what it was? I think he went very quiet after oh, that. Oh, because he was doing loads of cocaine and prostitutes and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And then it, it maybe, kind of ruined maybe, him. Maybe people didn't really want to book him because he was... I mean, it's so interesting, it's isn't kind it? It's of, kind of bizarre thinking of Hugh Grant as having a bad boy rep. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it's like... But that um, was the shocking thing, wasn't it? Because he'd, he'd done all these period dramas. Right. And he was the nice English gentleman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there he is picking up prostitutes oh, really? in LA. So those are, the, those are the best lines. Yeah. Let's have another cocktail, the final cocktail. And I've dug up some of the worst opening lines from romantic fiction. Oh, yeah, I'll tell you something. 
I think you'll understand Then I'll say that something I want to hold your hand 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 I want to hold Final cocktail this evening, the Smouldering Rose. Ooh. So I created a cocktail called the Smouldering Rose years ago. Right. And it had gunpowder gin and rosé vermouth. Mm, okay. And then I found out that there was already a cocktail called the Smouldering Rose that used mezcal and rosé vermouth. So revisiting them recently, I decided I didn't like either of them. So I've kind of recreated the specs of it. Right. And I really like rosé vermouth, so I've made that more of the star of the cocktail. Oh, okay. So I've swapped around the proportions. So before it was two ounces of spirits and one ounce of vermouth. Mm. And I flipped it around to make it two ounces of vermouth and one ounce of spirits. Right, okay. And then there's a little bit of sweetener, which is velvet falernum. And a dash of rose water. And, and that's it, a very simple, stirred, straight-up cocktail. Oh, right, okay. So there's a little bit of whisk of yeah. smoke, a little yeah. bit of sweetness. Yeah, I like that. And the like rosiness. Yeah, and rosiness. Yeah, mm. so is, is uh, rosé vermouth made with rosé? Mm. Oh, right, interesting. Yeah, that's a very sophisticated drink. It's almost like bringing me, um, like, vampire vibes. In a good way? Well, you know, like, vampires is very sexy, isn't it, and romantic. Vampires kiss. They kiss. Yeah. The kiss. The kiss of death, isn't it? The kiss of, like... <laughs> yes, yeah. Or the kiss of everlasting life, you know, Did never you ever grow see, old. Um, was it Vampire's Kiss that had Nicolas Cage in it? Oh, really? Have you ever seen that? No. Where he's a vampire. Right. Or is he a vampire or just someone who thinks he's a vampire? Right. It's one of his most unhinged performances. Oh, my God. It's spectacular. This sounds very like Nick Cage already, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> it's very good, <laughs> Is it? Do you yeah, like it? Yeah, it's actually good. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, it's got a sort of smoky, like, dive bar vibes to it. There's like a sort of, or like a smoky, like, gothic mansion um, with like a fire pit, you know, like a fire going and like candles and... Like maybe like a hog roast in the background, <laughs> okay. you know, with like a hog right. with an apple in its mouth, a bit fetishy, really? you know, and you've sort okay. of, you've gone there and it's like raining outside and your t-shirts like all clung to you and, you know, it's all clung to your abs and everything and you've gone there and then the door opens and, you know, it's like, aha, I have been waiting for you, you know, and it's like a sort of like, you know, very decadent man, you know, who's maybe a bit older and, you know, invites you in and then, you know, you sort of buy the fire and then, you know, you have to sort of remove your clothes. Yeah, sort of that sort of thing. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> you just awful one. I just awful one. Maybe sort of like a little fantasy in my head popped in there. But um, <laughs> a little vampire fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> I was quite getting into that. Uh, were you? I wanted to see where that was going. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, because I've always thought like there's, you know, vampires are very sexy, aren't they? Yeah. You know, there's always that sort of thing of like, yeah, like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly yeah. what you mean, yeah. How does this compare to the previous ones? This is my my favourite. Is it? Yeah. It's got a proper Dustal Dawn kind of feel to it. I love it. You've, yeah. you've surprised me with the whole vampire angle here. Actually, it's, it, it, 
now, now it, it definitely dust till dawn, isn't it? Because of the mezcal. I mean, now because they're heading to Mexico, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. Now that you're saying that, you know. so you think it's more vampire movie than a romantic cocktail? Yeah, but vampires are sexy and romantic. So, Interview with a Vampire is like a, a love story, isn't I mean, it? Really? Yeah, I guess it's it's romantic, but with a little a little bit of an edge. Yeah, yeah. Talk about storytelling. Check out these. So these are some of the worst opening lines from romantic novels. There's, I've got four of them. Three of them are definitely written by women. So it's not just men being shit at writing romantic fiction. <laughs> okay. And the fourth one might be, it's, the name's Ali. So it might be a man or it might be a woman. I don't, okay. I don't know. Okay, so the first one is by the author Molly Ringle. And bear in mind, these are the opening lines to novels. Right. Right. So this is Molly Ringle's opening line to I don't know what novel. For the first month of Ricardo and Felicity's affair, they greeted one another at every stolen rendezvous with a kiss. A lengthy, ravenous kiss. Ricardo, la- I can't read these without laughing. Ricardo lapping and sucking at Felicity's mouth as if she were a giant cage-mounted water bottle, and he were the world's thirstiest gerbil. Oh my god! <laughs> I love that. Can we just pick some of that part of it? Yes. Ravenous <laughs> is the best word. I love ravenous. Ravenous. That's that is the word that I when I think of erotic fiction. I particularly just like the <laughs> the simile as if she were a giant cage mounted water bottle. <laughs> That's the most unromantic simile you can think. It really is, isn't it? I really and sucking at her mouth. Like, 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 just imagine, just like you know, when you're going for a kiss, she's kept her mouth closed, and he's just sucking on her face. Thirsty gerbils isn't sexy either, is it? No, it's not. No, no, nothing is sexy. Uh, I'm just imagining that on um, blind today. So, contestant number three, how would you describe yourself? <laughs> a giant cage-mounted water bottle. And I've got a thirst for you, like a thirsty gerbil. <laughs> the world's thirstiest gerbil. <laughs> yeah, it's not only just any gerbil. Let's <laughs> do the next one. Yeah, you do the next one. On their first date, he asked how much he thought Edgar Allan Poe's toenails would sell for on eBay. And on the second, he paid for a subway fare with nickels he fished out of a fountain. But it was otherwise charming, and she thought they could have had a perfectly tolerable life together. What? That was Jessica Sassishara. To be honest, that's the sort of thing that I kind of ask Josh just before we're about to go to sleep. Like, I'll be like, Josh, just have our interest. How much do you think Edgar Allan Poe's taking on selfie? <laughs> He's like, I'm going to sleep. I've got work. <laughs> How many nickels do you think have been fished out of a fountain in the world? Do you know what I mean? And he's wondering if the, this idea of a perfectly tolerable life together is really as realistic as he thought it might be <laughs> I once. <know. laughs> it's like, how would you describe your life, your, the love of your life, perfectly tolerable? To that, that's the most unromantic phrase, isn't it? Perfectly tolerable. I know, I know. Yeah, I'd <laughs> well, settle for that. What's the sex life? Perfectly tolerable, really. <laughs> 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 Are you going to do the next one? I think you should. Yeah, this this is actually my favourite one. Is um, it? Yeah, so this is by Maya Pasek. 
she was a beautiful woman. More specifically, she was the kind of beautiful woman who had an hour-long skincare routine that made her look either ethereal or like a glazed donut, depending on how attracted to her you were. (laughs) 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 And I like that, because that's exactly what I think when I look at people sometimes. Is it? Yeah, I do what know, is that your barometer? Ethereal to glazed donut? What? <laughs> do you just like a whole confectionery thing? Ethereal glazed donut. That's amazing. I love that one. Should I do the last one? Yeah, do the last one. As the dark and mysterious stranger approached, Angela bit her lip anxiously, hoping with every nerve, cell, and fibre in her being that this would be the one man who would understand who would take her away from all of this, and who would not just squeeze her boob and make a loud honking noise, (laughs) as all the others had. That was by Ali Kawishana. I I think that's just quite cute, that one. Of all man who understand would take from... Who would not just squeeze her boob and make a loud honking noise. How many times did that happen to her? Like, all the others had. Like, is that just like a concurrent thing where... I mean, I think I've definitely done that. Have you? I'm pretty sure I have. (laughs) I think most men have done that at some point. Have they in their life, yeah? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean... I'm not proud of it, but I own up to it. Yeah, but come on, like we can all have playful mo- moments like that. I mean, I've I've done radio Yeah, maybe nipples. not on the first date you don't do. <laughs> yeah, maybe not, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> googly eyes. <laughs> <laughs> second date, yeah. Second date, googly Honking eyes. And googly eyes. <laughs> on the nipples. It's all fair game, yeah. <laughs> Like, get down to it, like, <laughs> like, have you got protection? Like, no, I've got googly eyes, and just stick them all over you. Like, this is my fetish, just putting googly eyes on your body, like... <laughs> you know, I'm done. I'm sure someone has that fetish. Well, it must be, yeah. Must be. Must be, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should look into that. At like that. various sizes. I mean, I had a girlfriend who was obsessed with googly eyes. Did you? She used to put them on everything. Did you? Oh, yeah. so it is a thing, is it? It this is, is like a, a thing. condition. It's a thing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I bet there's a whole society, isn't there? Of like, there's a whole probably googly eyes com. I love that, though. <laughs> Which is your so the, the third one's your favourite? Is it? I think. I think. I just love the fact that these are the opening. Like this is how they want to set the tone of their novel. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 It's great. Is it time? It's time. Who wants to be a cocktail? Hello, darlings. Hello. Oh, how are you doing, fruity one? <laughs> Me? Yes. Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Yeah? Okay, darling, you ready to do the quiz? <laughs> yeah. Okay. As you all know, listeners, three cryptic clues and a cocktail, and that will guess the thing that I'm thinking of. Send those answers into No Garnish at Pod on Instagram or No Garnish at Fastmail.fm on the inter-email. Of course, remember, darlings, this all relates into the episode, and I will give you the cocktail first. First, you will need fifth. 50 milliliters of Grey Goose vodka. I think I said gravy for a minute there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. 20 milliliters of rose water simple syrup. 15 milliliters of fresh lemon juice. 50 milliliters of rose champagne. And add the rose or berry sorbet and a basil leaf. Shake and strain over the center of the rose or berry sorbet. Top up with champagne and garnish with the leaf. Right. Do you know it? No. So, listeners, are you ready? Guess the person and the song, and you will win the clue. 
Madonna like a virgin. Oh, darling, I'm not that simple. Okay. Oh, there's more cryptic than that. Okay, go on. Number one, when life gives you lemons, ask Valentino, Mr. Lincoln, and the old red damask for the recipe, and you'll be punch drunk from pink lemonade. Cryptic clue number two. <laughs> okay. Careful when you tart yourself up, as the knave hasn't already stolen their heart, and you'll have no regrets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cryptic clue number three. <laughs> Always put your rose-tinted glasses on, darling, when flipping through your portfolio. And they are your three cryptic clues. I feel like I should know this. Oh, you definitely I, do I, know I, it, I darling. think this is going to be one that I'm going to kick myself. Yes, darling. For not getting... Don't worry, because I will reveal it on the next episode, and I cannot wait. <laughs> okay, darling, I'm fizzing at the bits. The champagne's Popping, darling, is popping. Goodbye. Right. So last week, last episode, the cocktail was the Lonkero, which is the most popular Finnish highball that originated. Oh, it's Tom of Finland. Tom of Finland. Yes. And so, yeah, I didn't know the drink. And you didn't yeah, know the it drink. Was a, it was a Finnish highball. Yes, and it was populated the 1952 Helsinki Summer Olympics. So Finland takes you then to Tom of Finland. Yeah. And uh, the cryptic clues, if you don't know who Tom of Finland is, he's... Uh, we're going to find out, aren't we're we? We're going to find out. So, number one, with exaggerated form, I tightly drew with my weighty nib, probing every detail of the creases and crevices through over 3,500 illustrations. And he's an incredibly prolific gay erotic porn artist. And um, we've, you know, we've mentioned him on the podcast before, and you introduced me to him on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, he's like incredibly synonymous with, with gay culture because he draws, you know, the details of leather, like a lot of leather daddies, a lot of leather guys. Um, and he draws the details like, you know, they're incredible, really. The, yeah. All the creases. He's got a real fetish for all the creases in the leather. And as I say, over th three and a half thousand illustrations. And he's like very, like, obsessed with these drawings, you know. They're all the same, really. And they're so, like, overtly sexual that they're almost kind of funny. Like, the cocks yeah. are so big. Yes, yeah, I remember these... looking at them, yeah. And they've yeah. all got these kind of facial expressions that are almost kind of like, like you know, <laughs> they're sort of it's weird. They're, they're like, How would you describe the facial expressions? You, you just mimed it. I, just, I can't even describe them. They're like, almost like, sort of like a Ken doll, some of them. Do you know what I mean? Right. Or they're just like... I don't know. I don't know how you would describe them. Yeah, I've, I've just got the book down from the shelf and I'm flicking through. Satisfied <laughs> is the word that I would use for the expressions. I think so, yeah. Let's move on. From destruction workers comes creation. Yet in my early years, my cum destroyed my creation. So um, this is a wordplay on uh, from destruction comes creation. But um, he he grew up really fancying, like, uh, all the construction workers. A lot of his work, you could almost say it's a bit village people-like, because you've got bikers, construction workers, military, sailors. Yeah. They're the sort of archetypal machismo sort of gay fetishes. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, in my early years, my cum destroyed my creations. So all his drawings that he did when he was younger, he would uh, inevitably end up burning for fear that people were going to find them. Ah. Um, and I find that quite interesting because, you know, I've what, done... When was that? What kind of... When we uh, so he was uh, in the Second World War. 
Uh, oh, jeez. Conscripted in the Second right. World War. So, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. And, um, you know, something I find interesting, because I used to, well, I make, you know, a, a gay erotic artwork. Um, I moonlight under a different name. But when I was a teenager and, in, and younger doing it, that's what I used to do. Every time I drew it, I would build up a collection and then burn them all. Would you really? Yeah, for fear of people finding them. That's so um, sad. It is sad, isn't it? That's yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah, it kind of is. It is. But, you know, I don't know. I guess it's like, you know, partly internalised homophobia and all sorts of stuff, yeah. isn't it? Like, Although I guess in, in art courses, they teach you to do that, don't they? They make you draw things and then just destroy what you've drawn so as you don't get precious about the art it's about the making the making of it yeah, yeah. and i think if i kept them i think they're probably pretty atrocious to be honest to what, compared to what i can make now <laughs> but it's a different yeah but it's also a different thing isn't it you you weren't making these on a course you're you're making the yeah that just you find it, that sad do you it, it yeah. makes me sad it makes me angry does it it makes me angry that we lived in a world where it makes people behave like yeah that. i mean and that that was like late 90s do you know what i mean yeah. Yeah. Like it was like I mean, you know the Second World War period. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Shame is a terrible thing. It is. A, it is. It is a terrible it's thing. It's terrible. It's thing, an incredibly right? powerful yeah. uh, emotion as well to have on people. Yeah, it because steers it, a lot of people's lives. Yeah. In, in a bad way. And you can't open up when, when you've got so much shame. You can't open it up to other people to help you with it. Yeah. So it often stays locked inside. Yeah. Um, and and leading on to the next one, the last one, I unashamedly fetishized my enemy while slavering the sauerkraut mm. all over my beating bratwurst. So... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I had a lot of fun with that, as you can probably notice. It's great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's the opening line to your romantic fiction. <laughs> yeah, that is. Oh, my God, that is as well. My next erotic novel. I'd read that novel. Um, and so uh, there's a big thread with his drawings of having Nazis in fetishizing Nazis. Yeah. Because he was in the Finnish army, constricted, um, and um, he, he, I read an interview where he sort of talks about the weird duality, and this is what often what fetish has with people, where he was looking at his enemy and the sort of power dynamics and everything of it, and having a real difficult thing, because everything about Nazism is completely abhorrent to him, but the sort of weird power draw of them in their uniforms, and you said they look very sexy in their uniforms, and right. a, a lot of people have talked about, actually, the design of the uniforms in, in Nazi um, things, very, like, powerful, it's very, like, iconic, and that yeah. was one of the things that rose them to power so quickly. It's a little bit like how people love stormtroopers in Star Wars. Do you know what I mean? I was thinking that, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they look cool, don't they? But they are the enemy. Yeah. You know, they, they represent oppression, but people love the look of them. You know, it's interesting how he went from his work, you know, being incredibly illegal, uh, all censorship laws and everything. We talked in the last um, podcast about censorship. And now Tom of Finland is a brand. You can buy T-shirts, yeah, yeah. you can buy duvet covers. He's got his own vodka, which I've been reading right. reviews about. Right. And apparently it's really nice. Okay. It's a really nice vodka. Hang on, we, we're getting off. We, we started off with Valentine's Day. We've yeah. ended up with Nazis. <laughs> That's so no garnish, isn't it? That really it? is, isn't it? Yeah. That's how we roll. That's how we it? roll. <laughs> right, let's wrap things up. Yeah. Did you, you have any messages? Any Anyone you want to say hello to? 
Yeah, we had... Um, you get all the messages. No one writes to me. Oh, that's because I'm the one on the socials, darling. You are, I know, that. yeah. It's yeah. too hard, isn't it? People, write to Paul. Uh, he's got <laughs> he's got an Instagram. He'll check it twice a year. I'm not as scary <laughs> as I sound. You don't sound scary at all. Yeah, yeah I'll check my Instagram twice a year. <laughs> so, um, thank you, everyone, for uh, commenting on... Um, yeah, the um, the South Pole Swizzle. Um, Curious imaginings, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much to uh, Mr. He, who said um, he said it was fun. The third man syndrome is such a weird concept, and it was it fascinating about hearing about the ideas of reincarnation, which sounded similar to Buddhist ideas. Oh, your ideas. My yeah. ideas, yeah, yeah, thank you. I like that. Yeah, definitely tell me that my ideas are fascinating more, people. Yeah. Um, and um, Simon said that uh, if you go to Churchill Square in Brighton, there's sometimes a table of Scientologists outside testing people's Dianetics. Yeah. I think we should do that. Let's go and get our Dianetics tested. Man. Really? I did that once. Did you? Yeah. How was it? Once they get you. Really? Uh, fucking hell, they just go on is and it, on. Is it like a mobile phone contract? You just it's can't a bit get like out that. of it. Yeah, yeah. And maybe I'm a bit worried because maybe I'll, I'll fall into it. A few people uh, commented because I put up a poll about <laughs> what should be my guru photo. Yeah. And definitely number one, that was the one. It's an amazing picture, that. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, what is that? Do you remember when Prince went through that stage where he wore the veil? Yes. It's like that crossed with a plushie. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't know what that thing yeah. is you're wearing, but it it's quite is, amazing. It? Yeah. Um, it was just in the studio when we used to have a costume maker in here, and I was ah. prancing around in the studio in it for a bit. Wow. I had quite a good response as well to um, my photo of the space aid anus that I found online. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a great image. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much for writing in um, and commenting. Um, and then you uh, you were talking about Podtiki's um, podcast as well, weren't you? Yeah, I've been listening to Podtiki sent us a message. It's much more getting into the cocktail making. Right. But that's, I, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's definitely in your wheelhouse, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's props to Podtiki. Right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Hope you have a lovely day, whatever you do. Yeah. And, of course, you don't have to do Valentine's Day at all. You could just go and hug a cow. Hug a cow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do it uh, consensually. You might get arrested otherwise. <laughs> just run onto a field and start <laughs> yes. hugging cows. Definitely do that consensually. And actually, yeah. like, cows are, like, surprisingly dangerous. Like, being killed by a cow is, like, very high up on, on the death list. People get trampled to death by cows. It's quite scary. Yeah. I don't think cows are malevolent. They, they just don't care. They just don't care. I nearly no. got trampled to death by a lot of cows, and I ran... And went up the tree, and then one of them started licking me, and it was really freaky. And I was just like really freaked out by this herd of cows. It was a really surreal experience. And there begins your second romantic <laughs> novel. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> to be a period drama lady oh I just sound like an old man now <laughs> um, oh, oh.
Gotta get my voice higher. Oh, I'm a lady. I can't do it other than Princess Strider now when I'm a lady. I'm so used to but doing that's, it. That's not sounding like Princess Strider. No, I sound like this. I sound like the Queen. Was any of that useful, do you think? Oh, it doesn't matter. Well, I've got to make an episode out of it. <laughs> so it does kind of matter, yeah. <laughs> if you're happy and you know Yeah. <laughs> Are you trying to look like a scary clown? Because <laughs> you look terrified. But it's like an epic love story. Wow. I don't like it. Yeah, those are British women's most popular, most favourite... Those are British... (laughs) (laughs) You should just do a whole episode of us doing bloopers. Just fucking it all up. They were the most famous Jane Austen quotes of the (laughs) century. (laughs) Those are British women's favourite romantic lines. And I've just shat all over them. (laughs) Mwah!